Well, like AJ said, today we're starting a brand new series going through the book of Jonah. And I have to say that Jonah is one of my favorite Old Testament books. It is four short chapters that pack one heck of a punch. Um, and I think one of the things that I like about Jonah is how familiar it is to pretty much all of us. Whether you uh, consider yourself a believer, grew up in a Christian home or not, like that story of Jonah and the whale is pretty common uh, knowledge in this part. Part of the world. But if you did grow up in a Christian home, there's a chance that you have seen this story acted out by a tomato and a cucumber, right? Because it has pervaded every area of Christianity from kids' church to VBS to movies to VHS. It's everywhere, right? Uh, but I think that one of the things that as I got older looking back on the book of Jonah that I began to realize is that a lot of us might have heard the story the wrong way when we were kids growing up. Now, I don't mean that, you know, we misunderstood Jonah running away from God or the storm that comes on the ship. I'm not saying that you got it wrong about the whale swallowing Jonah. No, I think all of that very literally happened to the point that the whale spits him back out on dry land. I think that's very real and literal. But specifically, I think that we get the character of God wrong inside this story. You know, as a kid, when you hear this and when you, you know, listen to the story, I think we get the idea that God is like ticked off for most of it, right? Uh, he sends Jonah to preach against the wickedness of Nineveh. He sends a storm after Jonah on the boat. He sends a whale to swallow him up whole. And he sends, at the end of the book, a scorching sun to take away Jonah's shade and burn up his already fuming head, right? And that's probably why. That idea, a good thematic summary of Jonah, is the idea that God pursues rebels, right? That, that God is not a God that is just going to sit idly by, but he is active and he pursues rebels. It seems like always throughout the entirety of these four chapters, he's hot on somebody's heels. And honestly, that doesn't sound much like the New Testament God of love that we read about, who hinders not the little children from coming to him or goes and raises a widow's daughter back to life. But you see, I think that we've got God all wrong in the book of Jonah. In fact, I think that the book of Jonah may do more than almost any other Old Testament book to show us God's heart of compassion, mercy, and grace. Now, that grace may be hard to see sometimes, and that grace may come in unexpected ways, and it really does come to a lot of unexpected people, but it's there. And so what I want to do as we kind of jump into this series, we're not going to get very, very far today, but I just want to jump right in, starting with the first few verses of this amazing little book and pull out a few things from there. So if you got your Bible, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, let's get started. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. So there in those first two verses, we, we learn a lot, right? We start off with Jonah, who's a prophet, hearing a clear word from the Lord. And that word from the Lord is, Jonah, get up, go and preach against, and he says, the great city of Nineveh. Why? Because their extreme wickedness had come up in the Lord's sight. 
Now, what's interesting is this isn't actually the first time that we read about Jonah in the scriptures. Matter of fact, if you want to jot down a note and go look at it later, in 2 Kings chapter 14, there's one verse in particular that shows us Jonah during the reign of the second king Jeroboam prophesying that the Lord would restore the nation of Israel's borders back to their former glory. And guess what? It happens. And so... Maybe I'm kind of reading into this a little bit, but I think that, you know, you got this prophet Jonah. He makes this prophecy about how Israel's going to regain some of its borders, its influence, its power, and it happens. I just don't think it's hard to imagine that in some ways that kind of maybe thrusts Jonah into the spotlight. Like, here's a prophet who, who hears from God. Here, here's a prophet who has a word for the people. I think this probably earned him a little respect, a little influence in the nation. And so already, just because of that, we learn a couple very important implications that come to bear on the particular event that we read about in the book of Jonah. The first is that Jonah has heard from the Lord before, and he's seen what the Lord's capable of. Now, I think this is very important for what we're reading in the book of Jonah because when Jonah hears the voice of God in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, number one, we can infer that he recognizes this as the voice of God. Like he's heard God's voice before and here he hears it again. He knows God's voice. He's heard God's voice and he knows that when God says something, he's not messing around. God brings what he promises to pass. We talked about this in our last series called Excuses. And make no mistake, this word from the Lord to Jonah is a very clear word. Now, honestly, sometimes the word of the Lord to us, especially outside of the teachings of Scripture, is not so clear. Sometimes we're not sure, has God said this? Has God called me to this? Matter of fact, if you go to our podcast, we recorded a whole episode devoted to that topic. But the truth is, sometimes it's not clear. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you know, no, this is what God is calling me to. And you are confident to follow it out. And so here's Jonah, who's heard the word of the Lord, who recognizes his voice, who knows that he's not messing around. So how does Jonah respond to this? Well, simply... Jonah freaks out and runs away. Look at verse 3. It says, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And so the question that I think I have is, if you got this prophet who's heard the voice of the Lord before, who's been obedient to prophesy for the Lord before, like why is he freaking out right now? What's making Jonah, very literally, we read in verse 3, flee from the Lord's presence, run away from the Lord's presence in his life. Why is he freaking out? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. Uh, one of those reasons we can guess based on history, and one we'll actually see verbatim later in Jonah's story. Uh, that first reason is that Jonah freaks out probably because of the reputation of the people of Nineveh. You know, we said uh, that God says, go preach against, against them because their wickedness has uh, come up before me. That wickedness of Nineveh was a very well-known and much written about topic. Matter of fact, just listen to what Scripture says about the wickedness of Nineveh in the book of Nahum. 
You can write this down, go look at it later, or you can read it now. But Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 is all about the wickedness of Nineveh. This is what it says. Woe to the city of blood, totally deceitful, full of plunder, never without prey. The crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and jolting chariot, charging horsemen, flashing short sword, shining spear, heaps of the slain, mounds of corpses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over their dead. Because of the continual prostitution of the prostitute, the attractive mistress of sorcery, who treats nations and clans like merchandise by her prostitution and sorcery, I am against you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I will lift your skirts over your face and display your nakedness to the nations, your shame to kingdoms. I will throw filth on you and treat you with contempt. I will make a spectacle of you. And then all who see you will recoil from you, saying Nineveh is devastated. Who will show sympathy to her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? So that is a pretty explicit passage of Scripture uh, you know, telling us about at least two parts of Nineveh's great wickedness. One is their extreme violence. Did you catch that? The mounds of corpses, heaps of the slain, tripping over dead bodies. The violence. And then the prostitution, specifically with sorcery and idolatry and witchcraft. Nineveh was a wicked place. And I'm sure that Jonah was afraid of what they would do to him when he got there. Matter of fact, Nineveh's wickedness is so well known, even the great philosopher Aristotle wrote about the wickedness of Nineveh. And so Jonah probably rightly freaks out. What are they going to do to me if I go there and preach against that city? And let's not look down our noses at Jonah because let's take a moment to think about all the times in our lives that we've held our tongues out of fear of the repercussions. At work, at school, at home, (laughs) we've done the same thing. Jonah was afraid of what would happen to him if he preached in Nineveh. But I think the second and underlying reason that Jonah disobeyed God's call and and fled literally to the other side of the world was that just as much as he was afraid of what the people of Nineveh would do to him, he was afraid of what God might do for them. He was afraid that God would actually forgive them. Now that seems like a weird thing, right? For a prophet to be afraid that God would be forgiving. And again, before we look down our self-righteous noses at the cowardly Jonah... We need to ask ourselves how often we felt this same way. Now, we might not put it in that strong a language, but deep down, we really do believe that there are people out there who don't deserve God's forgiveness, who don't deserve His mercy, who don't deserve His grace. And I'm sure if you were to be honest with yourself for a minute, there are some people or at least groups of people that come to your mind when you think about that. And isn't it funny how all those people that we put into that category look, act, and believe nothing like us. Jonah's relatable. He's afraid. He's afraid of what Nineveh would do to him. He's afraid of what God would do for Nineveh. And so he gets in a boat and he runs away. Literally, verse 3 says, fleeing from the Lord's presence. Now let's, let's step back and learn a couple of lessons from Jonah here. Number one, I think the first thing 
that I, we got to learn is that I believe firmly. I still believe firmly that God has a calling on each of our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has a calling on your life. And it may not be a calling to go and preach to a foreign power, but it's a calling nonetheless. Maybe the calling on your life is a calling to love your neighbors, especially those who you think are unlovable. Maybe the calling on your life is to go and serve your community, even when it's not easy. But I know that the calling on your life is not less than a calling to impact lostness right now wherever God has sovereignly placed you. But the truth is, like Jonah, many of us run away from that calling. Again, maybe not literally getting a plane and flying to the other side of the world, but more likely we run from God's call by ignoring it and hoping that God would forget. And to be honest, I think... Sometimes it's easy to read into our circumstances and think maybe God did forget. Maybe he doesn't really think our obedience is that big of a deal anymore. I mean, just think for a second. It all worked out for Jonah to get on the boat, didn't it? He goes to Joppa, the port city, and advertised there is a ship that's going to Tarshish. Now, if we had a map of the Middle East, what you would learn is that Nineveh is in one direction and Tarshish is over 500 miles in the opposite direction. So I'm sure Jonah sees this boat headed to Tarshish and he says, oh, wow, this, is, this must be God's okay with it after all. Why else would there be this boat here going this way? He got a ticket, went off without a hitch. The boat set sail, smooth seas to start. Jonah took a nap. But here's the thing, our circumstances can't be trusted to tell the whole story. See, Jonah may have fallen into a temptation to think God forgot about his rebellion and disobedience, but God hadn't forgotten. And we're going to see that in a spectacular fashion next week. You see, that's the book of Jonah, right? God, God doesn't forget rebellion. God pursues rebels. Rebels like Jonah, rebels like you and I. But here's where we need to take one more step back. You see, it's really, really easy when we read Jonah's story for us to see ourselves as Jonah, the wayward prophet. You know, and in many ways we are. But the truth is, we're not just Jonah. We're Nineveh. We're not just good people who made a bad decision, but we'll get back on track. No, we are wicked people deserving of the judgment and wrath of a holy God against our sin and our rebellion. We are those people who live in a powerful nation, a great city, privileged in society, and yet we are blissfully unaware of the true heinousness of our sin before God. And yet God, in His grace, sends us a prophet, a truer and a better Jonah, Jesus. And when we, hearing Jesus' message of grace, repent of our sin, we find forgiveness and life. I think one of the most overlooked and yet amazing aspects of this little book of Jonah 
is that God would send Jonah to Nineveh. And he doesn't send Jonah to Nineveh because he's mad at them, but because he loves them. And he wants to see those wicked Ninevites find forgiveness and freedom from their sin. That God would send, the God of Israel would send a prophet to Nineveh is one of the most unexpected acts of grace in the entirety of the Old Testament. But that's the thing about grace. It's always unexpected. Always. Because the moment we start expecting it, we lose it. When we think we deserve it or that we've earned it, it's not grace anymore. So today, as we begin this journey through the book of Jonah, maybe you need to take a moment and just reflect on that. That grace has got to be unexpected or it's not grace anymore. Maybe you've come to the place in your life where you feel that you deserve that grace. You've earned that grace. You're just a little bit better, a little bit holier, a little bit farther along the road than all those other wicked people. And maybe you would realize that you're them. You're Nineveh. And you need the grace of God in your life as much as they ever did. But the good news of the gospel is that just like Nineveh, when we repent, God will forgive. So would you stop and pray with me now? And let's ask God to make us aware of our need for His grace. God, thank you for the powerful message in the first few verses of this little book. God, I pray that you would remind each of us, that you would remind me, of my need for your grace. That I'm not just Jonah, a good guy who made a bad decision. That I'm Nineveh, desperately wicked and sinful more than I'll ever realize. But God, I pray that you would create in me by your Spirit such a confidence in your grace that instead of running from you, I would run to you Because I know and believe that there is acceptance and forgiven already purchased through your cross. And God, I pray that that same thing would be true for all of those who are watching and listening now. And that those who have never come to the place in their life where they have been broken by their sin, confronted with their lostness. They've never come to the place in their life where they have called out to you, repenting of their sin, seeking your grace and forgiveness. God, I pray that they would right now. God, right now in this moment, I pray that you would raise dead hearts to life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.